This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. Episode 102 from the Subway to Shea studios in my office. Huge thank you to Will Salmon of The Athletic for joining me last episode. Hope you all enjoyed it, and we hope to have him on in the near future. But now, joining me this week is the content creator and Mets podcaster, Gary Mack. Gary hosts Mets Musings with Gary Mack. You can watch, subscribe on YouTube, and or listen wherever you subscribe to your podcast. Gary, welcome to the Subway to Shea podcast. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be with you, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Gary, I've been on your podcast a few times, and it was about time that I repaid you <laughs> because I love collaborating, <laughs> and we got so much to talk about, so much to cover regarding those amazings. So let's get right into it. The Mets, uh, okay. Mets calling up <laughs> Brett Beatty. It is time. He is coming, according to Andy Martino of SNY. That's right. Season two of the Brett Beatty show has been renewed just in time for the Mets trip to Hollywood. Brett Beatty in the minors this season, 400 batting average, five home runs, 15 RBIs, nine runs, two stolen bases, and a 500 on-base percentage. You look at who he's going to probably be taking over for because Eduardo Escobar has been struggling this whole season. He only has six hits in 48 at-bats, a 125 batting average, only one home run, six RBIs, five runs scored, and a 173 on-base percentage. Thought Beatty had a monster spring and earned the right to, you know, make the opening day roster. Kind of had that Alonzo-esque 2019 spring where... You know, it was his for the taking. And I thought Brett Beatty had earned that spot. Obviously, they went in a different direction going with Escobar. And I understood the decision. And I knew that Brett Beatty would come up at some point. Escobar struggled all throughout spring, the WBC. And he's even struggling now. I mean, we, we've seen it all throughout yep. the, the beginning part of the season. Thought he would get to, you know, the end of April to prove himself, but he's unfortunately just not been productive. You know, I've, I've tried my best to, you know, support Escobar because he's you know, obviously he's a team leader. He's a really good guy and you want to see him succeed, but it's just been such a, you know, troubling time for him. And I'm pretty sure, you know, Bay's been in the back of his mind. He gets the questions all the time. Would you have given Escobar more of a leash Gary, or is it just time now? No, I think it's time. I I would have probably brought uh, uh, Beatty with us from camp uh, at the beginning of the season, but it's time. Look, he struggled. As you said, he struggled during the WBC. He struggled the beginning of the season. He didn't have a great spring at all when what, whatever time he was in the Mets camp. And I just think that it's time for Beatty. Let's see. Let's see what he can do. You know, those three guys, uh, the triumphant, I guess, if you will, uh, Maurizio Vientos and uh, Beatty are all tearing it up in AAA. And really, probably all three deserve to be up here. Now, Maurizio's going to be a problem. Where do you play him? Uh that's the Mets problem, though. You know, they signed Lindor to that long-term contract. But this kid is ready, I think. He's more ready than Alvarez is at this point. Uh, I'm a little disappointed in Alvarez. And we, can, I'm sure we'll get to discuss that a little bit more. But as far as Beatty goes, he has to come up. I mean, the, the offense is struggling mightily. You can see it. And I know they scored 17 runs on Friday evening, but they got 13 walks. So when you break it down, they didn't really get a lot of hits in those 17 runs. Uh, seven runs came in, thank the Lindor guy 
got a grand slam homer and I think a double that cleared the bases with the bases loaded. So uh, I'm a little concerned about the offense and now they're going to get into some better competition. Oakland gave him a little bit of a hard time and, and that's a series really should have been a walk in the park. So they did sweep. I'm happy about that. I'm not being critical at all, but I do have my concerns and I think it's time to see if what baby batty can do. And, uh, you know, he got off to a quick start and then struggled last year, but he got hurt. It was, it was mid to late season. He, Probably had some fatigue issues in there as well. Let's see what he can do now. I don't think the Mets will just drop Escobar. He provides value, and I mentioned his leadership to this team. Uh, Here's what he said about Beatty this weekend. He goes, he deserves everything he's getting right now. Now that he's getting called up, he's put in the work. He deserves to come up here and play and do what he does because he's the good that good of a player. He's the future of this team, and hopefully mm-hmm. he can come up here and help the team because we need him. Escobar will probably be a necessary piece off the bench and possibly at DH. Uh, going back to Brett Beatty, we kind of got a hint that something was brewing when uh, general manager Billy Epler showed up to this past weekend's uh, Syracuse game. Gary, when you heard this, that he was going to be there when Billy Epler was going to be at this game. Did you think, hey, maybe the Mets are getting ready to call Brett Beatty? I I gave it some thought. You know, it's always it's tough to say sometimes because they do make these general managers make these trips around the ma- the minor leagues to see the different teams to see how the prospects are doing. But I think there's just been so much written about uh, Beatty hit the, and and the way he's been hitting in the beginning of the season that. Uh, uh, you know, and then he had a slight minor injury. It was a couple of days. Uh, he he missed a couple of games. But I think uh, Eplu went probably to see how him and Vientos and Maurizio are all doing. And uh, it's something they have to keep an eye on. But I just wanted to – I guess – he went to see if they felt that that Beatty was healthy enough. And I think they knew it was time the way Escobar is struggling. They knew they have to do something quickly. And the thing is now, who did they get rid of? I mean, to make a space on a roster, they can probably uh, send Budo back down or something like that. But um, that's going to be a tough decision because, you know, uh, I read somewhere somebody suggested that Lo Castro might get uh, DFA'd, uh, something like that. But I think he's valuable, Lo Castro. Uh, I, you know, it it, it comes down to uh, what Vogelbach, Escobar, or uh, Lo Castro, and you know, if if it's got to come to those three, I think Vogelbach is the one that really should be on the the bubble, so to speak, uh, to go. Yeah, Vogelbach. I'm having a hard time finding the right spot for Vogelback because he doesn't really play a position and he hasn't really showed much to me at the DH position. Now, I know he gets on base walking and he could do mm-hmm. that. But in that part of the order, you need someone backing up Pete Alonso and driving in right. runs. And that's just not happening. I mean, he. I don't even know if he has any RBIs right now. I, I'm going to have to relook at the stats. I, I don't have mm-hmm. them off the top of my head. But from what we've seen, Vogelback to me, I, like you said, I, I think he seems to be the odd man out. Now, I don't think that they're going to let him go. I, I, I think no. that it, it would be LaCastro over him. But LaCastro, like you said, has so much value on the bases. We saw it. We saw it this past mm-hmm. weekend, what he what exactly. he was able to do on the base paths. So I, I find it hard that they would let him go, especially when he has no options. And someone's going to pick him up, obviously. Someone's going to take that guy and, and get the most out of him. Look at the Mets right now, stolen bases. I think they lead the league in stolen bases <laughs> just as a team. And and having LaCastro there, you know, adds so much to that. I think you're right. I think it's going to be Jose Buto at least to the start, right? Because they have a full week of games. Right. They got the Dodgers for three. They got the uh, Giants for four. And, you know, they have already used that spot where Jose Buto is going to play. And now it's going to be Scherzer on Wednesday. So I think it's going to be Buto right now. Obviously, he has the options. But another guy to consider is maybe Luis Guillorme. He's got options as well. And I, I think maybe that could be a possibility. He hasn't had so much playing time uh, during this season. So I think that that could also be a possibility with the options that he has. It, it is a good possibility. Uh, and that would be, I'm a big Guillaume fan. I love him. I think he's terrific. He can play 
uh, you know, number of positions. And look, the guy's been hitting too. I mean, last year he had a breakout year. He hit pretty good, you know, in a part-time spot. He, he, is he a 350 hitter? No. But, uh, you know, is he going to hit 260, 270? I think right now he's hitting around 273 or something along that. Uh, that's what he's going to give you. But he, that glove is just so good. And, um, I, you know, I hate to see him send that uh, get sent down. You make a good point. I mean, Vogelbach really, uh, Locastro gives you a glove in the outfield and speed. And speed is a big thing now, especially with all these rule changes. The speed becomes so important. And uh, his bat's not that great, but really, I don't see anything out of And I love Vogie, but just don't see anything out of that DH position at all. And at least if you uh, uh, leave Escobar in that position, maybe that you know, he's got a chance to fight out of it, the, the slump from there, and just concentrate on the hitting. And he's also got a glove. He can play second base. He can play shortstop in a pinch. So I think he's more valuable even than, than Vogelbach. Uh, you know, Guillaume, oh, man, I hate to lose. I hate to see him go down because I don't. I think he deserves to be here. But, you know, if he's got options, that is a possibility. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll have to see. I don't think they made it official yet, did they? No, uh, not as of this yeah. recording. They have not made anything official with who would be uh, sent down. So, I mean, Vogelback, it's hard, too. And I mentioned this either on the podcast or on Twitter. You know, when I think of DH, you think of, you know, Nelson Cruz, David Ortiz, right. guys with the power, guys that bring in runs. And Vogelback doesn't do that. He's more of an on-base percentage guy. You see, he takes a lot of walks. You see a lot of the pitches that he leaves over the plate and doesn't mm-hmm. swing at it. It gets you frustrated. A couple of things that I saw this past week that have, you know, kind of turned on a, a light bulb is there are specific spots where they have not used him to pinch hit. And they've used someone else like Tomas Nito in the Padres series. They did it even mm-hmm. this weekend where they didn't use Vogel back. And I was surprised. I mean, you got a lefty, a left-handed batter supposed to bring a little bit of pop and they're not using him. And I was, you know, concerned a little bit with with the way they decided to go about that and where this affects Vogelback. But, you know, with Beatty, where are you placing him in this lineup? Obviously, the one through five and maybe, yeah, one through five is pretty much set whether, you know, you're mixing around, you know, Nimmo will always be leading off. And we'll get into him later. Um, Marte two, whether you want to do Lindor three or uh, McNeil three. And then you got Alonzo, obviously four. And, you know, one of the other guys five. And that's usually your set top five. Although they have been putting Canna, which I disagree with. They have been putting Mark Canna up there in the fifth spot. I don't think he is the guy to back up Pete there. I think he belongs a little lower in the order. So where are you putting Brett Beatty? when he enters this lineup? Well, that's an interesting argument because, you know, usually when you, when you bring a guy up like that, they put him at the bottom of the lineup and he's been hitting second all year. So uh, with Syracuse, so you have to wonder is that, how does that affect him moving down to the bottom of, of a lineup? Uh, I agree with you with Kanha. I think Kanha is a good player, but he's not an everyday player. And I think we're starting to see some of that now. He got off to the fast start. Now he's struggling. He's hitting about 180 or something like that. Um, he should be dropped down. But then who protects Alonzo? You know, then they put McNeely. I think McNeil should be in the third spot. I really do. I think he because he he's built for that spot. He's he's a perfect like a Keith Hernandez guy. Keith Hernandez was a number three hitter, and he was not a power hitter, but he was a singles hitter. Uh, you know, line drive uh, in the gap type of guy. That's where I think McNeil is. Lindor probably should hit six to protect uh, Alonzo or fifth rather. Uh, then perhaps you put Beatty, but then what protection do you have for Beatty? Then you've got Canha seven, you know, Nito, who's a terrific catcher, but can't hit a lick. 
and then whoever whoever's left, whoever I missed. But um, you know, I, I have to almost wonder if that's the problem with Alvarez uh, that he's hitting eighth or ninth, and and he's just not used to hitting in that position. And are you hurting a guy by doing that? Can you can't move him into the, the slot he was hitting in the minors because you, you've got other talent there. But uh, you have to wonder. I, I would probably try getting Beatty up as soon as possible in a game so he, he won't be thinking about it, you know, uh, second or third, even if you had to, uh, and just try it. Shake up your lineup a little bit. Put him in batting second. Put uh, Marte uh, fifth. You know, just shake it up a little bit and see what happens and see if he's comfortable in in two or or maybe you know put him in two and then the next time put him in six and see just move him around a little bit and see where his comfort level might be you know from all the swings that i've seen from um from uh, uh from Beatty, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of john olerud and what we've kind of seen from John Olerud when he used to play for the Mets. I, I feels like it's that same kind of motion, that same kind of swing that he's got. Yeah, he, he he's a contact guy, and uh, he, he's strong enough, though. He's got that pop, and uh, you're right. It's a lot like Olerud. Uh I don't know if he'll hit 383 or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. Olerud hit. Uh, but, I'm saying you know, more we, the motion, more the motion. I, don't right, like to compare, right. I never like to compare players, but, I, you know, when you see <laughs> him at bat, the you know follow through just kind of reminds me of John Oler. Yeah, yeah, and, and and you know he as you said, and he, and he's a contact guy with some pop. So that's what they need right now. They they need guys to contact. I I I get very concerned with this offense when I see these guys either striking out, flying out, and there's not enough line drives going. Even if you're hitting into outs, they they're not hitting that ball right on the nose and hitting the line drives and, and hitting the gaps. And this is a gap hitting team. I mean, Alonzo's power is the right field and right center field. And of course he's got power all over the place, but I mean, he, he's got power to right center field McNeil when McNeil's on, he's hitting line drives, the left center and left field. We are just not seeing that. Uh, um, Lindor, Lindor is hard guy to figure out. I don't know what he is. I think sometimes he thinks he's a power hitter. Sometimes he thinks he's a singles hitter. I, I don't know. I can't figure figure him out at all but he gets into these things where he's hitting home runs and i mean even yesterday's game if you think about it uh, offensively they hit three home runs if they don't hit any home runs they're not scoring runs and that's not good they're getting guys on base they're getting bases loaded nobody out one out can't get a run in because i i don't know the guy starts swinging for the fences or what they're, they're getting back this is what they did a couple of years ago and it's it's a little concerning to me. I mean, I you know I could be totally wrong too. But what I see is that the they're, the home run swing is they're trying to use that. And I I don't know. You know, um, I know Alonzo is hot right now, but he concerns me too because he's still swinging at that low outside pitch. They're still getting him out. He's flailing after the pitch, uh, slider low and outside or a fastball low outside, and he's missing that pitch by a foot and a half and he is still getting him out on that and he should be picking up on that a little bit better at this stage of his career um you know and and mcneil doesn't look comfortable i don't know what it is with mcneil it, it could be uh you know batting champ but they always say like world series hangover he could have a batting champ hangover i don't know uh he's pressing to live up to that the NL batting championship, but we'll see what happens as time goes on. I just, I just get concerned about that offense. Yeah. There's a lot of concern going around, especially after, you know, this weekend, even though they scored 17 runs on Friday, 
it was very deceiving <laughs> to say right. the least. And we're, we're, we're going to get it out into right. some takeaways from that series uh, shortly, but you mentioned Francisco Alvarez. So I want to, you know, jump right to Francisco Alvarez. He's been here since the Mets home opener struggling at the plate, but has shown some encouraging signs of, during Sunday's game, you know, making contact, taking the ball opposite field, a couple of deep fly balls. You know, I, I thought those could have been gone, but you know, right at the warning track for a couple of outs there. But I like what I saw yesterday. It seems like he's kind of getting a little more comfortable. He was definitely comfortable behind the plate working with Jose Budo, who he's good friends with. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw him work with uh, David Peterson, and we saw him work with uh, Cookie Carrasco twice. So do you like how they are using Alvarez currently, or would you be playing him a lot more than he is right now? I know for me, I think he should be at least designated to catching both Tyler McGill and David Peterson because, you know, once Justin Verlander comes up, there is a possibility that one or Tyler McGill or Peterson goes down. So if, you know, that happens, it's good that he's getting this work with them because, you know, if he does go back down, he might be getting that work with them as well. So do you like the way that you're using Alvarez now or would you change it around? Well, I I know there's a big debate on social media about this, that they're not they're not playing him the right way. Um, I, I'm kind of torn with that. He needs to play more. And with that in mind, and if that if they're going to break him in slowly, then I think they should put him down in the minors. Put him back at Syracuse. He's only had like 45 games or something at Syracuse. Uh, I was looking the other day, and, and I was really amazed at the numbers. His minor league games are not a lot. He hasn't played a lot in the minor leagues. And in a way, I almost feel like he was rushed up uh, past Binghamton and into to Syracuse. They should have left him at Binghamton another year. A full, let him play a full year last season. Let him get a taste of Syracuse this year and a full season and worry about him next season. They're covered for this year with the catching, and I understand Novara's got hurt. That's why they brought him up. But I just feel like there may be too much of a rush. And you just, you know, they have not had a lot of good luck, if you will, in the history with catchers that they've drafted. I mean, if you think of the best catchers in Mets history when they've won, they've all come via trades. Uh, You go back to, I go back to, well, I go back to 62, but uh, if you think about it in 69, Jerry Grody was one of the greatest catches that the Mets ever had. He came from the Houston Astros or the Colt 45s. Uh, Gary Carter came from Montreal. Um, Mike Piazza came from the Dodgers via Miami. Uh, you know, they, they have not had a lot of luck with homegrown catchers. Okay, you, you got Todd Hunley you could put in there, but then you had the whole steroids thing, was he or wasn't he? Um, you know, Leduca. Leduca's another one. Leduca's another one Leduca. who came. He came, uh, right. Travis Darno for the time that he was here. He was traded mm-hmm. from Toronto. So, yeah, you're right. There, there really right. hasn't right. been a homegrown catcher for the Mets, especially one with this much talent. And I don't remember the last time that the Mets had a number one overall prospect in Major League Baseball. Yeah. And Francisco yeah. Alvarez was the, is that guy. So you know he has to have the, he has to have the talent uh you know to be rated by MLB with, as the as you say the number one prospect in baseball. Uh it's just you have to wonder sometimes about that you know I always say this, and Ralph Kiner used to say, the old Mets announcer, used to say all the time that there are guys in AAA right now, and he meant when he was announcing, of course, but I I think this still holds true today, to have so much more talent than a lot of the guys in the majors. What's the difference? The difference is here. Who can use that talent? You know, there are guys that are better ball players than McNeil in the minor leagues. But maybe they don't. He's got the killer instinct or whatever you want to call it in his head. He fought his way. Pete Rose was like that. You know, 
guys like that, some of them may not even make it today, you would think almost the way they look at some of these ball players. You know, they want the all the six foot three guys to hit home runs and all. But guys like that are the guys that really make a team. And how do they make it to the mangers? A lot of time it's right up here. It's it's your mental approach. I don't know if Alvarez has that. Uh I, I think the language is a problem too with him that they have to work on. But he's twenty one. You don't want to ruin him now. And that's why I think the minor leagues may be better for him. I mean, his, his, he, he, He's improved defensively, but his uh, uh, throwing is awful. I mean, he's all over the place. He's thrown it out in center field, and, and uh, you know, he, he's just off. He made a good throw yesterday on a guy uh, that stole. And a lot of times they steal on the pitchers. But still, you got to make it close. And, and, I mean, he's throwing it all over the ballpark. And um, you just wonder about things like that. He needs that work. Yeah, and we gotta remember he's he's still super young. Look at what 21. happened to yeah. Look at what happened to Jared Kelnick. Uh, his first couple of years, he right. had terrible seasons, and now mm-hmm. he's finally found his way. He's starting to come around. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's an interesting situation, but I really feel he should be in Syracuse, and he's got to catch every day. You can't rotate him. You, if he's gonna be your catcher of the future, he's got to be playing down there. Every day. And and I think Syracuse really is the right spot for him because with the rule changes up here and the way they're running and stealing, I mean, what did Miami get? Five in an inning off of him? Five stolen bases in one game or something like that? I mean, that was just hard to watch. And, and if he's down there, he can work on these things a little bit more and he'll be playing every day, not sitting on a bench. And uh, what are the alternative? I, I miss Patrick Masika now because he was the guy, you know, they brought well, I was him surprised up. they didn't even bring up Perez. I know he's not on the 40-man roster, but I thought for this, they would have probably brought up Perez if Alvarez is not going to play as much. That's right. And have somebody that that's, you know, that experienced in that type of position. Because that's the other thing, too. When you play every day and then you become a backup catcher, you know, it, it's a tough job. You got to be ready and, and you got to know what you're doing. And, you know, let's face it, Nito is not a good hitter, uh, though I think he has the potential. I often wonder now him hitting eighth or ninth again, is that hurting him at bat? Because he did win the Florida State you know, batting title a few years ago. And, uh, you know, but he's a terrific defensive catcher. So you you give up something if you want to have that. And I think this team should have enough offense to where they can give that up to have a guy like Nito catching uh, every day. But uh, Alvarez, I uh, he needs to play. He's not going to play every day up here because they're, they are in a pennant race. I mean, uh, even this early in the season, this is a team that wants to win. I don't think they can afford to play him every day. And, uh, you know, if you're not going to do that, then send him back down. Yeah, and I said at least have him catch Tyler McGill and mm-hmm. David Peterson. They've been letting him catch yeah. Cookie Carrasco. That would be three out of the five pitchers. Uh, Justin Verlander, he's coming back real soon. I want to make this little transition. Justin Verlander return is pretty much eminent here. Uh, he was in Port St. Lucie on Saturday for a bullpen session. And the Mets have a tough decision on their hands with the rotation because, you know, Cookie Carrasco has struggled outside of, well, you know what, even, even in Oakland. That was a that was a tough watch. Mm-hmm. He won. They won the game. He got through five innings, but that was a really like he had a really hard time getting through five innings. So I, a lot of people are saying it has to do with the pitch clock. His velocity is low. A lot of things to consider when Justin Verlander comes back. I think that they should turn him into a long man, a la Trevor Williams and allow David Peterson and Tyler McGill to stay in the rotation for as long as possible because these guys are pitching pretty well and are succeeding, and you want to, you know, honor that. You don't want to just send these guys down because, you know, Cookie Carrasco is the veteran, right? You have to, at some point, you know, give these guys the opportunity 
that have been playing well, you know, you, you got to let them, you got to promote them for that. And, and well, finally, Brett Beatty's getting that, but it should have been done earlier. And this should happen with the pitchers as well. Right. And and you can't tell a guy it's, it's by merit. You know, if you play well, you're going to play. Uh, as you say, these guys have really earned it. They've pitched well in tough situations. They've come in. This is the second year in a row. Don't forget that they've come in for injuries to big pitchers. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, uh, Cookie Carrasco. I mean, they're replacing, in in essence, to a certain degree, uh, 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 Jason DeGrom again. Only it's Justin Verlander this year. Uh, yeah, one A and one B award winner. Yeah, and and and. You know, and they've done the job. I mean, they've done the job. Uh, they haven't. A lot of times, Peterson runs into he'll pitch a, a good game. He'll give up three runs, but in this today's game, three runs is a good start. Uh, and he's not getting any offense. You know, I mean, the uh, his last outing did he lose? I think it was he lost like by one run, right? It was three to two, and then they broke it open late or something. Yes, Am Peterson I remember uh, it was lost the game against San Diego. Right, uh, the game was really close, and then you know Dennis Santana came in and 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 blew that game out of the water. So he kind of right. was a hard luck loser there. He hasn't won a game this season, but he's pitched pretty decently and pitched better than he's, Cookie has pitched. And Tyler yeah. McGill has pitched even better than that. He's like Mister April. Yeah, yeah, McGill is terrific in April. It's just we got to see if he can stay healthy and do it in May and June. And um, how would you set have... up the rotation, Gary? Well, moving I, forward, I, when Verlander comes back, I I think I want to we try to split Verlander and and uh, Scherzer. I don't want them together. I think I would fit. I personally, I'd like to have another lefty in there uh, to really break it up to go righty lefty righty lefty. But that's not going to happen until at least. Uh, if Quintana comes back and and they're not going to keep Peterson probably in the rotation then unless he's still pitching terrific. Uh, but I, I would split those two up. I guess it, the, the best would be, you know, pretty much like they have it now. Uh, you have Scherzer and then you have, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, well, you get McGill and then uh, you'd have Verlander. And Peterson and then uh, Senga or uh, switch Sanger to after Scherzer. And because I think that's a nice combination there. Um, you want, I, I always would have loved to have somebody that throws 100 miles an hour and then the next day have a guy that's uh, uh, like an R.A. Dickey, a knuckleball pitcher or have a soft tosser uh, in there. Yes, exactly. And, and a lefty maybe would even be really better. Uh, if you could do that, that would be great. But uh, yeah, but I think, you know, like a Scherzer, Senga, uh, who, by the way, he's been terrific. I mean, he's just he's some character. And uh, if if this guy learns a little bit of English, he's going to be all over the place doing commercials and whatnot because he's he's got a personality and he keeps pitching like that. Uh, uh, he's going to be really good and really good big in New York. But I like the I, I, I don't have any complaints about the setup now. I, I really don't have any complaints other than Carrasco with the rotation, uh, except that they have to try to, you know, lessen their pitch counts and get a little deeper in the game. Another inning a game or two that they need. I'm afraid the bullpen's going to get burnt out and burnt out by June. Um, he's oh, absolutely using a agree. lot of guys using a lot of guys. And, and I don't understand that, you know, Santana pitched a couple of good innings there and maybe turn the corner and then they, they released him uh, and bring up the Budo. I understood that that move, but why not Reyes? I don't have as much confidence in uh, Reyes as I did Santana. Um, and they got to get Drew Smith straightened out. He's he's still a question mark to me because he'll have a great inning and then he'll get hammered the next inning. I, I, I don't, I, I, you know, or he'll have a great two at bats. He'll get the first two outs and he look like, oh man, he's he's dominating this game. And then he'll lose home plate. I mean, it it's uh, 
I don't know, but the bullpen's still a question mark. They still got to figure that out. Robertson has been terrific as the closer. Uh, I think the one of the best signings that they could have done was getting him. I wanted to get him. I wanted to get him in the trade deadline last year. I think if you put him eight with Diaz, man, they would have been terrific together. But Adovino is Adovino. You know, he's been a little sketchy. He's been up and down. But for most of the part, he's been solid. The the back end of the bullpen hasn't been really the problem. It's that middle. It's that sixth, seventh, and if you want to say the eighth, I don't. I would say the sixth, fifth, sixth, and seventh innings that are concerning to me right now in the bullpen because they just don't seem to have the combination there. And well, I, I you know, I love Show Walter, but again, and look, he's not the only manager that does this. But if a guy comes in in the the fifth or the sixth inning is pitching well. Why can't he go into the seventh inning and pitch another inning? I mean, what? Why they got to bring somebody? Else? How many times have you seen a guy come in dominate in an inning, and then they bring in somebody else the next inning, and he's getting hit all over the ballpark? I, I, I don't, I, I don't understand the philosophy behind this. And maybe I'm just a, a, an old school guy, and and it just doesn't make sense. But I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. Now the Mets the Mets are totally going to cycle through a lot of middle relief if these starting pitchers don't give them six innings at the very least at the very least they should be doing six innings. I mean Garrett Cole yesterday had a complete game shutout. We saw Sandy Alcantara have a complete game shutout. I'm not expecting that, but I am expecting at least six to seven innings of these guys coming in there because they are going to tire out this bullpen, like you said, by the trade deadline. They're Mm going to be exhausted. And the problem is we don't have Edwin Diaz this year. Right. to close. So right. that that could become a problem moving forward. I mean, you don't want David Robertson to be exhausted by the time we get to June. You know, it, mm-hmm. the Mets are going to have to get these starting pitchers to pitch at least six innings. I, if they're at 70 pitches or 80 pitches, let them go one more. Let them go. Let them go one yeah. more. But it, it's totally going to be a struggle if they can't do that. It's going to affect them. And this is a problem that the Mets have is, you know, finishing. And they're going to have a hard time finishing if they can't get their starting pitchers to pitch more innings and, you know, get this offense where it needs to be. You're listening to Gary Mack, host of Mets Musing, and he is my guest this week on the Subway to Shape podcast. <laughs> We're going to talk about a little takeaways from this Oakland series. The Mets did what needed to be done. They swept the A's. It wasn't easy, but good teams get it done, and that's what the Mets did. Gary, any takeaways from you? I know for me, the two big takeaways, definitely what we've seen from Pete Alonzo. He is a man on a mission, it looks like. Uh, absolutely destroying the ball, hitting mammoth home runs on Saturday and Sunday, that the game-tying home run on Sunday in the ninth inning. This season, he's batting 267, eight home runs, 14 RBIs, and a 372 on-base percentage. What are your thoughts on Pete Alonso so far? Well, I, you know, it's the same with Pete that I just get concerned that the strikeouts are too high and there's too many, uh, you know, like the other night, he, he had a home run, he struck out twice and then maybe got a single. So all right, he goes two for four. It looks good. I don't like the strikeouts. I'm a contact guy. I want to see you try. Yes, you're going to strike out now and then. Don't get me wrong. But I want to see you make a little bit more contact because when you hit the ball, anything can happen. Case in point, Tomas Nito the other night in uh, was that in the city field against San Diego. Uh, I think Yorme bunted the ball down the third baseline and the ball stayed fair, right? Needles up next, takes a full swing, hits a little roller, and it stayed fair. 
Okay, so now you got two guys on. The point being that if you make contact, something can happen, it can be good or bad, uh, you know. Uh, but we've seen in the past where uh, a guy makes contact, and and Alonzo, I thought was better with two strikes a couple of years ago, or even last year. And and sometimes I I watch him strike out now, and it's like he's getting away from that. Yes, he's got the most home runs, and and but I don't want to, you know. I don't want to see him just uh, get home runs and strike out. I want to see him put the ball in play because he's got to be an RBI guy, too. They don't have a lot of RBI guys in that lineup, per se. Basically, really, of what we've seen over the last two years, it's basically him and Lindor. And Right, right. And Marte on occasion, but Lindor's more of your, you know, setup guy getting getting on base mcneil can drive in the runs when you know when he's on Mm -hmm. and you know seven through or six through nine is a crapshoot right right yeah i mean uh, that's it now now tommy fam has been terrific for them so far in this short season in a, a small role he's got two home runs already and uh has played well for them and lacastro's helped uh, played really good uh pinch running and stuff uh like i said coming out of this though um you know, uh, the the offense has still got a struggle going and uh, not counting, as you said before, that Friday night game, 17 runs. But again, they had 13 walks. So, uh, you know, now on one hand, that's good that nobody got crazy and started swinging when these guys couldn't find home plate. You know, you realize these guys can't find a plate at all. Uh, Caprillion couldn't. He, I mean, but he was close. That's the other thing about it, too. If you watch that game, he wasn't like wild, you know, he just was wild in the strike zone. Uh, couldn't find the plate there, but um, it, it's a little concerning, the offense uh, and the bullpen I take out of it is a little shaky still. Uh, like yesterday's game. I mean, they kept giving back. They had the lead. They gave it up. They had the they came back, tied it up, and then I got a little worried in the uh, tenth inning. Uh, but Robertson shut the door, and as I said, he's doing a terrific job. But the middle bullpen, the middle relief, is a little bit of a concern. But, you know, on the you positives, know, it's, it's something that 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 someone had mentioned to me on Twitter. And uh, it's interesting because you had mentioned Buck and his usage of the bullpen is who he's putting in certain spots, right? Dennis Santana coming in. The Mets are down by one run against the Padres and Dennis Santana is coming in. Or Sunday, uh, Jacobonis comes in in the ninth inning to try and, you know, move this game on into the 10th, which... Mm-hmm. He had no control. I don't know how he got out of it, but you know he did. And 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 we're going to bring up the the next takeaway is is that I'm going to mention is going to be a part of how he got out of it. But uh, yeah, the, the the bullpen has been the usage uh, from from Buck has been you know kind of questionable at some points. He, uh, yeah, it, it's almost like he's searching to get a combination. Uh, it, to uh, to fill those slots, and I guess he's he's going by feel. We'll see how who felt good in the bullpen. That can you know that can that's part of it too. I mean, they'll get two guys up in the bullpen, and one guy will say, "Oh, I feel terrific tonight." My arms. Like, the other guy goes, "You know, I'm a little stiff. I'm a little sore. I, oh, my breaking ball's not working." And they might go to the hot hand, and and sometimes you want the guy that that pitching lousy in the bullpen because sometimes they come in and they find it. In, in that walk-in from the bullpen and uh, the guy that's having a great bullpen stinks when he comes in. I, I You can't figure it out. But, uh, yeah, I think he's fishing around right now for combinations, and that's why you see different guys in different situations. Uh, he's kept it pretty much the back end. He's uh, kept uh, pretty well. I'm surprised uh, sometimes how he's using Drew Smith. I thought Drew Smith was going to be more of a back end guy, and he's he's uh, used him sometimes as the first guy out of the pen, you know, in the sixth inning or whatever. Um, I'm yeah, not I don't, so I don't sh- know if Drew's ready for that role yet. 
Right, you the you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned earlier the whole mental aspect, and I think there's a yeah. little bit of that with Drew when it comes mm-hmm. to that. I mean, I, I can't get into his head, obviously. You know, I, I've never pitched before, but you can see, you know, some days he'll dominate, and then some innings he'll dominate as well, and then fall <laughs> apart. So yeah, there's got to be something, you know, with to that. You know, and and hopefully he's able to become one of those back end guys because we cycle through relievers every year. And you want you want to have a guy that's your own that can hold his own. And and I think Drew can get to that point. He he does have the stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's we'll we'll have to see one more thing, uh, one more takeaway. And it had to do with the Yagabonis coming in and how he got out. And it was big because Brandon Nimmo, uh, he's becoming an all-around player. They signed him to the big contract. Yesterday, two diving catches to basically save the game. One in around the fifth inning with uh, Jose Budu pitching. And then that game-saving catch in the ninth. Mm-hmm. Uh, his center field has improved so much over the last year we are seeing it this year as well with the catches that he made he's heating up offensively he's your prototypical leadoff hitter he walks now he's stealing bases because of the new rules he's Mm -hmm. doing it all right now you look at his stats 286 batting average eight rbis three stolen bases probably the most stolen bases since last year he had three stolen bases all season (laughs) yeah and then he's got a 463 (laughs) on base percentage gary i don't think fans realize how important Brandon Nimmo is to this team. I I agree. And I think uh, to me, Nimmo was other than Diaz. I think the two most important signings the Mets had to make over the off season was the closer and they had to sign Brandon Nimmo. Uh, If they didn't just think of the consequences right now, they had not signed him. Not only would they have lost a leadoff hitter, which is so important, they would have lost a premier center fielder. And this guy was, you know, a couple of years ago, he was rated like the sixth best center fielder, I think in, in the major league baseball by the uh, MLB network. And uh, I'm sure he's moved up now. I mean, we're talking, you know, Mike Trout as the top guy there. So he he's up there with those type of players. And as you said, he's made himself into a terrific defensive player. And I mean, he, he's just a, a fantastic leadoff hitter. That's that's the exact prototypical guy you want as your leadoff hitter. Guy that takes a lot of pitches guy that can get on base, takes walk. He's got some pop. He can hit 15 homers a year. Um, and his he's a hustler. The running down the front. I know people get out of first base. They get tired. Oh, look at that. Uh, but if everybody played like that, you'd have more wins on your team. And he's just, he's a spark plug. And I said this before, he was probably that uh, they had to sign Diaz granted you need to, for the closer role, but he was the, the signing that they had to make the guy they could not lose was, was him. I mean, they lost to Grum and, and they hadn't, I'm not going to say they had no trouble replacing him, but it was really pretty easy. You know, Verlander was there. They signed them. Um, we don't know how Verlander is going to pitch, but there's, on, uh, there's only really two center fielders available. They only had him, Nimmo and Aaron judge. And the Mets weren't going right. to go after Aaron judge and pay that money. Right. And the Yankees weren't going to let him go anyway. They, they, you know, they would have gave him, uh, they would have gave him anything to stay. So, and, and is he considered one of the best defensive cat, uh, center fielders in the game. I don't think so. Uh, but I, you know what I thought was interesting. Uh, and again, being an older guy, <laughs> well, what I thought was interesting yesterday, that it was shades of Tommy Agee in the 69 world series. You might say uh, the first catch, especially when he dove uh, to make the catch in right center field. And then the other catch being in the left center field, which was close to what AG, he didn't dive uh, for the second one, AG, uh, but it was a backhanded play and uh, it was almost reminiscent of Ron Swoboda's catch in the uh, 69 World Series as well. Uh, but it, it the, you know, it, it just goes to show you how you, if you work hard enough, you could become a good defensive player. I mean, even Alonzo, Alonzo came up with the idea that he wasn't going to be that good. He's, you know, he'd be 
a, a below an average first baseman. He still does some things that I, you know, I shake my head at, but he's turned himself into a decent first baseman. You know, he's no slouch down there. You're not worried about, oh, please don't hit it to him in a game situation. You know, he he's turned himself. He's worked hard about it. You know, I interviewed him a few years ago when he was in the minors. And at that time, that was one of the things he was working on. He said, I want to become a better first baseman. And when he he says uh, about winning a gold glove, he's not kidding. He wants to try to get to that level. And I think the important thing to note is that he did that and really didn't sacrifice anything with the offense. You know, sometimes you work on one thing and you're out, you, you work on your defense, your offense is going to struggle. Uh, but it, it never happened with him. So it's something to pay attention to with these guys. And, and, if you think about an Alvarez, if he's got that kind of mindset, he can do it as well. Uh, but uh, Alonso's made himself into a good outfielder. McNeil was, you know, an infielder. But look at he's made himself into a pretty decent outfielder. You're not afraid to put him out there anymore. And and uh, it, it's a shame that a guy like Dominic Smith couldn't do the same thing. But, you know, that's again, that's what happens. Some guys can and some guys can. Gary, before I let you go, let everyone know what you're working on and where they can find you and your content. Well, I do weekly podcast, try to do it weekly. Sometimes, you know, you get a little lazy, but. Oh, I get it. <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> well, there's not much going on, especially in the off season. Uh, but I'm at MetsMusings.com. You can find uh, the, uh, the audio and the video version. I do a video version of Mets Musings on YouTube. It's YouTube.com slash at Mets Musings. Uh, you can find us there. You can find me on Instagram, Mets Musings, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook. We have a, a group page on Facebook, so come join the group. I also co-host another podcast with a good friend of mine who is uh, by the name of Rich Baxter. He does a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. He's been on the show. Uh, has he? Okay. Yep. Uh, and uh, Rich and I do the baseball talk radio show every uh, Sunday morning. We record that. And sometimes we go live. Sometimes we don't, uh, depending upon the Wi-Fi that day. But uh, Rich and I talk about all of baseball, and that's available on Anchor.fm and on YouTube as well. So it's the baseball talk radio show. And uh, But my main show is Mets Musings, and I've been doing it since 2000. 2010, so we're in our 13th year of doing it, and uh, it's been a long run and a lot of fun, and I've met some of the nicest people, such as yourself and uh, our buddy uh, Jeff Cohen, who's been on your show, and Baseball and BBQ. Uh, yes, baseball and BBQ. Terrific show and, and terrific guys, too. So, uh, yeah, and that that's it. Um, uh, my email is uh, metsmusings at gmail.com. If anybody's got any questions or comments or anything like that, you can reach me there. And uh, that's it. Gary, it is uh, <laughs> great to finally get you on the podcast. And we're definitely going to do this again sometime soon. All right. All right. Yeah, I, I'm always up for talking about the Mets, and, and uh, I enjoyed it, Anthony. And uh, you'll have to come back on Mets Musings. We'll have to have you on another roundtable. That was fun that time. I, lo I love the roundtable, so we'll definitely have to do that again soon. It was great having you on, man. Take care. Okay, thank you. That was Gary Mack, the host of Mets Musings with Gary Mack. You can follow Subway to Shea on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Subway to Shea. Listen, subscribe to the Subway to Shea podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Turn on your notifications to never miss an episode. You can rate and leave comments for the show and let me know. Let me know your review. Let me know what you think. Uh, I'm always here to listen and to improve this show each and every week. Don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the Fan Sided Network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com and make sure to follow rising apple on twitter at rising apple blog and the fan sided network at fan sided if you enjoyed watching this 
on YouTube. Please subscribe and leave me comments there as well. I'm always about the comments. That's why I want to know what your thoughts are. I want to hear from you. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and turn on all the notifications for that channel. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For Anthony Rivera, this is the Subway to Shea podcast. <laughs>